We talk to our computer by asking it a question, and then the computer talks back, trying its best to answer it. At least that's how the conversation generally happens between humans and AI. Sometimes we're happy with the computer's answers, and other times, not so much. And we either try again until we're successful, or we just give up. But real learning takes place with true dialogue, when there are successive exchanges that deepen understanding and where either a person or a computer can start the conversation. For people and computers to learn, good data is very important, as are ways to access it quickly. Even more important is constructive communication driven by language. Corey Patton is the co-founder and CEO of Pramana Labs, and he thinks prose and narrative conversations are the future in communication between AI and people. We created a way to learn about a relational database using training processes and NLP models that allows a user to just ask the question in free text. What are the most home runs that any Angels outfielder has had in seven at-bats? And then instantly get the answer back. Comes back in tables and graphs, and then also human prose narrative language. Developments in natural language processing are beginning to allow for dialogue between people and AI, which in turn creates a foundation for learning. Many people point to the bright, shiny object of vehicle automation when thinking about the potential for AI. But perhaps the most exciting aspect of AI overall is the future of conversation and the amazing opportunity for learning quality exchanges between people and computers will provide. After all, the thirst for learning and our need to talk to do so may draw humans and computers even closer together. On this episode of IT Visionaries, Corey covers the bases about how natural language processing is being incorporated into the sports world with professional leagues such as the NHL and beloved publications like Baseball America relying on the technology to get information to audiences more accurately and quickly. And as Corey says, that's just the beginning for Pramana Labs as its applications are seeping into other industries spanning from commerce to finance to mortgage lending. Enjoy the episode. IT Visionaries is created by the team at mission.org and brought to you by Salesforce Platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Innovate fast, empower every employee, and scale with confidence from anywhere with a customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com platform. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of IT Visionaries. And today, we have the co-founder and CEO of Pramana Labs, Corey Patton. Corey, welcome to the show. Thank you, Albert. Great to be here. All right. Right out the gate, we ask all of our guests the same question to start off. What is Pramana and what does it specifically do? Well, Pramana is an AI software company. We're based in Raleigh, North Carolina. Our focus is and always has been around ways of incorporating NLP uh, or natural language processing into really simple, elegant products that deliver information where and how that user wants them. So it's why we named our company Pramana. Pramana comes from an Eastern philosophy around how humans learn and how they transfer information. So translated, Pramana actually means proof and means of knowledge, which is why we really set out to build a company around those two core messages. So I've lived in the NLP world for decades. My co-founder, Chet Patel, has even longer. Uh, we cut our teeth with a startup company, an NLP company, before being acquired by Intel. Then over those years at Intel, we saw a couple of distinct needs for NLP-based solutions in the sports world. So 
we started Permata in 2018 with that mission. And our goal was to create simple, powerful tools for leagues and media so that they could instantly find answers to complex questions simply by asking the question in natural language. And the NHL was an early adopter of the product and our engagements have grown from there. So give me an example, because we've heard a lot of different companies develop AI, a lot of machine vision based solutions to help sports leagues. This is a little bit different. This is it sounds like it's more on the research side to help someone understand what possibly literature, possibly historical references to understand what's going on in real time as fast as possible. I'd love to understand a little bit more. How does, I guess, examining language help in this case? Well, sure. So if you take a, for instance, take a, a deep historical stats library for one of the major sports, hockey, baseball, football, basketball, we'll just take it. Those people are very familiar with that. And if an event occurs in the game in real time, you need to know what the historical contextual significance of that event is. So in order to do that, say, you know, Mike Trout hits his third home run in seven at-bats, something like that. You need to be able to say, has that ever happened before? Who else has ever done that before? What's the most that previously had happened for an Angels player, for a, an outfielder, et cetera? And the only way to really do that is to be able to get at that information in an easy conversational way. So we created a way to learn about a relational database using training processes and NLP models that allows a user to just ask the question in free text. What are the most home runs that any Angels outfielder has had in seven at-bats? And then instantly get the answer back. It comes back in tables and graphs and then also human prose narrative language. So the answer would be automatically generated. The most home runs that any Angels outfielder has had in seven at-bats is X. And so that is instant and it translates to broadcast, to devices, and to consumers where they want to hear that information and not wait until somebody can do a research project to find that. Okay. So this is super fascinating. I am a big sports fan. For anyone who's ever watched the games, it seems like the broadcasters can pull these facts out of nowhere. <laughs> now, yeah. now it sounds like I know where they're coming from. Yeah. This is interesting because you know when something happens in real time, something happens in an event, like you can use the home run example. Typically, what you would have to do is then look like the old way would have been you'd have to have, I guess, a catalog of all stats of all players across all games. You'd have to sort some type of column index. You'd have to query it up. Your query would probably have to be quite precise and have multiple constraints if you were using a database, assuming all data was in a database to come back to the answer. My question for you is, how do you do this today across? So it sounds like you're piecing together data from many, many sources to come up with a definitive answer, right? Because there's not like a master data table that has all these dimensions. I, I, at least I don't think so. I'm curious, is that is that what's doing? It's like basically you're relationally like grabbing data points from all these different places and be like, hey, this is the answer. Well, actually here, here's the way it works. So we're the technology solution that enables leagues to do this. Now, for instance, the NHL was an early adopter. Their stats and information team uses our tool amongst other tools, but as a way to get to the answers of questions. Now, they have a historical database that goes back many years, 100 years, and that's common knowledge. <laughs> yeah. And so they have that database that we, our technology sits on top, and they use our technology to find the answers to those questions. So we're not actually pulling together multiple databases. We're just sitting on top of one large relational database in order to pull these questions for the end user internally inside the league. Gotcha. More of a, it's a business to business, not business to consumer. It's B2B, not B2C. Gotcha. Cool. So you had mentioned you had done previous work in this space. 
How did you come up with the idea that this would help in sports broadcasting, entertainment, analytics, and so on? Did you know that this opportunity existed? Was this just a passion project where you're like, hey, I love sports. I, I think this can make it better. How did you go into this space? Because AI NLP, it's used in a lot of it's used in a lot of domains. Let's put it that way, right? What what made you choose sports? Well, that's a great question. <laughs> uh, it's because I've lived and breathed sports and worked in the industry forever. And I, you know, I worked back at CNN Sports Illustrated right out of college, which seems like a million years ago. But I even at that <laughs> point, finding information and stats was one guy that sat in the corner, and all he did was thumb through books forever to try to find those answers. And that was, you know, twenty plus years ago. So if you look now, how far we have come in the innovation space of okay, where are we with AI and NLP and machine learning and models that train on large data sets? I said there's there has to be a better way, and I actually uh, did some business development work over the last several years and saw that need, engaged with some people around the industry that said there was a need for this. And so when we left, we already had a target, we had a market, and we had a product that we saw real legs for before we just set out and said, let's just you know hang a shingle and do this. We, we knew there was target there that was available for us to engage with. So give me an idea of how this goes about, because the company's relatively young in regards to total company lifespan. I believe you said, what year did it start again? 2018. 2018, right? So it's only it's a little over three years old or quite right around that time frame, Because that's one of the big challenges a lot of CEOs, founders that have been on our show have talked about, which is how do you get to that first MVP where, because this is just my analysis on what people have said. When you are doing an MVP for a consumer application, it's a little bit, they, I've heard it's a little bit easier because you can ship a smaller product, smaller price point, smaller customer, fewer demands. Well, I know that there's a pro sports is a big customer <laughs> and probably some bigger requirements in regards to like, okay, it needs to be a minimum viable, do this before it's even acceptable. Talk about how you guys approached, how did you prioritize, figure out which features had to be there? And I'd love to hear like the first, basically first versions of what happened and what was the response and kind of like gave you that signal, like, hey, we're on the right path. This is something that's going to be valuable. Yeah. Here's it the yeah, you hit the nail on the head there. So trying to figure out features versus customer versus customization versus applicability across multiple different leagues in even multiple different verticals is really where you want to look at when you're building a product. So you say, okay, I need an MVP. I'm attacking the sports space. I'm going to start with a league. Uh, I need to get a league that sees the need for this. I need to then figure out how I can create enough features so that it solves one minor problem. Not all of them. You don't want to solve every problem because that's not why you're being engaged with from a league. So you need to work with the customer. It all starts with them. It starts with engaging with a customer to say, okay, here is a pain point of pinpoint accuracy that you can then solve. And from there, every feature rolls out from engaging with them. And you want to make sure it's applicable across other industries and other verticals and other leagues and teams, but you want to make sure that you're solving their problem. So we engaged with the league. And we sat with that team's stats and information department, and we saw what they needed to do. We saw what they were failing on or not failing on so much as just had a hard time delivering on. And we said, we can help you with this. And so we, the solution really provided an initial benefit that then benefits grew and multiplied the more we engaged with them and the more new features we built upon their request that we knew would be able to be sold across other sports and other leagues and other verticals. Yeah. What was the first feature that was like, hey, this is this is the thing that is going to get us started? 
I know the products evolved since then, but I'd love to hear how it got started. Sure. No. Um, when you when you looked at the issue and the challenge from the from the original challenge was that there was a a huge amount of data that was dynamically changing constantly every night, all day, you know, all throughout the games. Yeah. And then there was a team of engineers that would go and ask questions about what were the most um, you know goals that a rookie has scored in the first X minutes of a of a playoff game one of a seven game series, something like that. Well, the part about that that we solved was we made it reusable. Okay, we made it reusable in that when you started asking a question, it wasn't just the most goals with a hard number that one team had scored in one in a specific period over a specific number of game series. All of those pieces were all parameterized and interchangeable. So you could ask one question. And our training models knew that this entity was a goal, this was a period, this was a player, this was a team, and those were all interchangeable for asking one question forever. And that never had to be written again. So it just cut down the time for sending a need for an answer to getting an answer to instantly and then changing something in that question to apply to another team, player, venue, and now you have another instant answer. And that was the original piece. That was search for something get an answer, change it, get another answer, and not have to spend your time rewriting SQL queries to try to solve for some specific question that was asked. So one of the things that we've had different people talk about with NLP is there's this difficult challenge of NLP, which is intent. What is someone meaning to say? Because we don't kind of, we use words that don't quite, I remember working with AMC theaters and they were very, very focused on talking about, hey, how do we better understand what people are saying about our movie theater versus the movie? So instead of, you know, they didn't want to hear that the movie sucked because they can't control that. They wanted to hear that the customer service or the floor. So it was very difficult to like strip out language from one thing to another. When you were developing this, did you think of it as like, hey, this has to work for any colloquial question? Or was it like you have to actually use specific keywords to, to trigger the results? How did you guys approach that? Did you start like, did it have to be specific keyword based? Did it have to be, or were you already planning for like, hey, any type of colloquialism, any type of verbiage, we need to be able to understand what a person, what kind of information the person actually wants and bring back relevant examples. How did you attack that problem? Because as you know, we all talk and type differently. <laughs> it's, it is a huge challenge and it's a huge challenge. It's been part of the NLP world forever. And I guess I can answer that by backing up a little bit and saying our core engineering team has worked in fields of NLP for years and years where that has always been a constant challenge. And so looking at it saying, okay, is this a keyword search? Is this a a full signature search, which is the way we like to describe it. So the sentence itself, as you actually type the sentence in free text, we're not just looking at, does this word match or this word match? We're looking at the entire signature of the sentence typed. And then we know what pieces in the sentence are entities because we've trained and what those entities mean. And the joining words are all parts of it, but that's not the specific piece. So what we try to do is approximate what that full sentence signature looks like, and then serve up what is the most likely question you're asking with those parameters dropped into the sentence to ask the question the way you want. And the user always gets final say of, is this the question that we want? Yes, click on it, here's your answer. And so it's much more complicated than saying, if you do not type it this exact way, you will not get an answer. Yeah, because that's certain companies. That's the way it feels, right? When you when you're working with any type of chatbot or something, it sometimes does feel like you have to be very precise. Otherwise, it'll say it doesn't understand. Oh yeah. Well, and I think that's honestly from where I sit and what I've seen in the industry is it's okay to maybe not have the exact question 
up top, but it needs to be in the top three questions that you surface up so that your user can look at that and choose between those. Because there's nothing worse than being hardened into, hey, you keep giving me the wrong answer. I need to have a way to say, this is not exactly what I'm asking, and then show you, oh, well, but there's some other pieces down here. This is the question I want. So it's okay not to be able to go from ask the question and not even have a choice of a couple of questions below to click on. You need to be able to give the user the ability to make sure what they're asking is what you're returning. Yeah, no question about it. Talk about its use case and application as it is today. When your customers are using these products, do they typically use it in research or is it more in real time as they're watching something or is it a combination of both? Oh, it's both. So from the league that we're engaged with, they use it to do game setup every single day. Okay. So there's a multitude of information that they have to push out to every single broadcaster, to every single front office, to teams, you know, to media partners that they need to have game set up and notes. So what we do is we allow them to make that ability to create those game notes quickly and easily and concisely. And then while the gameplay is going on, there are things that happen in every game that you say, well, yeah. wait a second, has this ever happened? And so then you use the tool in real time to be able to push those out to media targets, to be able to push those out to you know people that may ask from a front office. And you need to be able to have those instantly because it's not good enough to wait till the end of the game to research it. And then post-game, the same thing, wrap-ups, next day, mornings, all that stuff is when you need to have it when you need it. And that's what we provide them as a access point to that information whenever they actually need it. So that's pretty amazing. It definitely changes the way we experience sports today, right? The broadcast, like I mentioned, when we watch, I'm a big hockey fan. I understand you work with the NHL. So, you know, seeing the stats and it's such a very much, a, it's much like hockey. It's a very stats driven game. Like some of the stats they'll pull out like, oh, this person's Corsi 4 is like, I don't even, I don't know what's going on. Right. It's really intense, enriching experience. I'm curious, is the tool principally used on the broadcast media entertainment side, or is it used also in helping the team operate, like pick players, scout players? I'd love to hear, does it have other applications beyond the media side for entertainment? Currently, it is only for the media side use. It's, it is the tool for the stats and information team to use in however they see fit to distribute their information. From the side of the front office side you're, you're referring to, right now it's not being utilized by them at all. It's controlled strictly by the NHL office. The way you describe this tool, I can't help but it's, it's starting to remind me of other things. One of the things that we do and we hear from different CEOs, especially in the retail sector, is or anyone who's in manufacturing, is how much they want to be able to just ask their database questions. They don't want to go to an analyst. So for example, you know, if we were a retailer, Corey, like I would say like, hey, someone tells me red shirts are selling very fast. I don't know why. And I want to be able to just ask my database, hey, database, which cities are selling the most red shirts? How much skew do they have left? What do you, you know, you know how, what, how fast is it selling on a per unit basis? And I want this to come back to me so I can then make a decision like, hey, let's ship more red shirts to these cities. That's a simple use case that we know that it takes armies of analysts to figure out, much like what you were probably talking about before. Uh, sports analysts have to figure out all these facts, got to look up all these queries just to figure out, does this, did this happen or not happen? So I'm curious. It sounds like this technology could be applied in other verticals, but I don't know. Like, Is that something Pramana is exploring? I'd love to hear how it's potentially going to be used in the future. Yeah. Absolutely. Look, we, we have a huge sports background. That's kind of where we, we love the sports industry. We think there's applicability across all of that in multiple different ways. But we also see in the way that we built this tool, it's data agnostic, meaning as long as it's pointed to a relational database, 
we can do the same capabilities across it because the, the model doesn't care. The, the training doesn't care. It just needs to learn about what is what in that database. So red shirts versus home runs, it really right. doesn't matter. So what we have done is we attacked that in a couple of different ways. And yeah, we have done some work with some financial institutions and some mortgage companies and looked at some retailers actually as well. And what we have found is, yeah, there's applicability, there's a need, there's a want for what we're doing. And we also have the second side of the tool and, the, and what our company is now working on, and it has been deployed across a couple of different areas in production, is that two-way conversation with your data. And really, that's what we allow to happen with our tool. It's a two-way conversation. It's we allow the user to ask a question in free text, but we also have a full end-to-end pipeline with NLG technology that scans your database and pushes out prose narratives. So it just sees things that's happening or happening in your database and creates a prose narrative for them in what we call stat lines that are inside the tool every morning. So if you're looking at saying, hey, how many red shirts are we, did we sell in our Philadelphia location in the last 12 days? That's fine. You can ask that question. But our platform is automatically going to surface that when new data comes in the next morning and push that narrative to an end user where he needs it rather than even having to ask the question. So you can look at that and say, well, could you make it easier for a user to have full vision or a store manager or a retailing distribution manager to have insight into what's happening across their supply chain or their retail stores? Couldn't be easier. This is really fascinating. I got to ask because I want to dive in a little deeper. Pros narrative. Does that, so in the past, if I were to um, ask an analyst a question, they would go into data, they'd come up with an answer, and then they would write maybe a paragraph to explain their answer, right? Like this city's selling the most and here's the data to prove it. Whatever the case may be, is that what you mean by prose narrative? Like the tool is going to bring back a description or descriptor, like a mini paragraph, so I understand what is happening versus like you know just a bunch of charts. Because we've seen a bunch of charts. Like I've seen companies that's like, oh yeah, we need these charts. I'm like, well, what what is, what is this telling you right now? The second, then people are like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and when I say we really want to make that interaction with data seamless, this is what I mean. I'll give you an example. We've been teaming up with Alexa for the last um, six, eight months, and we surface information for their sports department that allows them to tack on these prose narratives to the questions and answers that they have out there in the world about different sports. So it allows them to to round out their score and schedule questions with a prose narrative of uh, you give a score and schedule and then just say, for instance, for hockey, it would say uh, Alex Ovechkin now has you know, 79 power play goals against the Pittsburgh Penguins, the most of any player on the Capitals since XYZ date. Okay, that's automatically generated every night. It's dynamic. It's fed. It's done in human prose narratives because you need it for not just the voice platforms, but for if you're sitting in front of a screen and you're an analyst. You need to have stuff pushed to you that you can consume rather than that extra step of taking a chart, taking a visualization, and then writing an analyst report about it. Yeah. I mean, I think the way, you, the way you're framing it, the way I would frame what you're saying is everything that you're doing requires some level of scope. We all need scope because when these numbers in a vacuum don't mean anything to us, right? Is 75 power play goals good? I don't know. Well, who's the next best, <laughs> right? And then, then I can figure it out. Like, okay. Yeah. It's context. So- by default, are you always providing context and scope? It sounds like you're providing context and scope in every, almost in every scenario. Is that, is that how the product is working? So think about this. And when I talked about what the name means, what pramana means, you know, it's an Eastern philosophy. Yeah. But there are several different pramanas, different ways of learning. And humans learn by having 
multiple different conversations, the give and the take. If I was to say a fact to you, uh, again, as I said, if I was to say a fact to you about, okay, you know, this is the most triples that a Philadelphia third baseman has had, you know, in, in over seven games, do you just take that internally and then say, well, that's cool? Or do you say, hey, the next question would be, well, what was the second most? Yeah. Well, who else has done that with another team? Yeah. And then humans learn by by being given a piece of information and also by then asking a follow-up question. And we provide both ends of the spectrum for users of the tool. So this is pretty fascinating. How many people on your team, I guess, <laughs> had to study this, study the way we communicate? Because in my opinion, you've, you, you know, you've had the foresight, you mentioned you guys have a ton of research on this, but like you had the foresight to recognize that a simple answer is often not good enough, right? You had the foresight to be like, so now not only are you analyzing my question and bringing me back the data, you're also analyzing, I don't know, almost the intent of my question and also then searching and finding context to bring that information back so that I can be satisfied with your answer because because you, you're already hitting the basic follow-up questions. Like you're you're almost uh, you know pre-calculating the basic follow-up questions that a person would ask to bring that context all forward. Who is in charge of like figuring this out? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, the simple answer is my CTO and co-founder, Chet Patel. He is the brains behind the initial charge and our team, our full team in, in North Carolina is fully responsible for all the other technical implementations. But what I will say is the way that we've designed it, and again, I, I think it's it's been an evolution about how we saw the need to create new features and new ways of developing and passing information on to the user. What we encountered originally is if you put a blank state or a blank screen or a blank box in front of somebody and say, hey, ask it anything you want about, you know, baseball questions, hockey questions, basketball questions, there's a paralysis there. And the, and the user just says, oh, well, uh, I don't know what to ask it. Well, we said, OK, well, where can we start the conversation? Let's create the stat lines piece, and then let's automatically generate cool, new, unique stat stuff, fun facts, game recaps, game storylines, and then let's produce those automatically every night so that the user looks at these things and says, well, there's a starting point. I did not know that, you know, that, that this person was the active point streak leader uh, in the NHL. Okay, well, let's dive into that question and figure out who was the previous, who's the longest, who's the longest for a certain team, and that gets the conversation started. No, that's fascinating stuff. So you guys have done a lot and you've figured out quite a bit. And you mentioned a little bit that it's going into other verticals potentially, um, or it has a practical use case in other verticals. Talk to me a little bit about some of the other things that you guys are currently developing to keep pushing the pace of innovation in your space. Because that's one of the things that we love hearing about is like, what are you betting on? What are you thinking about in the next you know, short, let's say five-year future? Like, What are you thinking about in regards to like, what products are you guys pushing? What features do you feel like you need? And what problems do you want to solve? Because Inevitably, you're building something on the fly. There's going to be new problems arising. I'm sure every single day, your customers come back and say, hey, Corey, it's good, but can you do this? <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, one of them is trending. Okay. So it's okay to find a distinct stat or a distinct number of shirts, as you said, in a retail store yeah. or a distinct on a distinct time. What is tougher is looking at that over a timeline and looking for trends and upticks. Okay. And so what we have done is we've architected all of our stuff over across a time series database, which will allow us to do trending analysis in granular ways and then push alerts that our system has intelligently detected to the user so that they are aware of certain trends that are happening and not just time period, time stamped results. You need to see what's coming before 
it hits you. And that's right now what is in the last stages of development to be rolled out very soon. Okay. So this is a problem that I tried to solve you know, five, six years ago, I was not very good at it. Uh, <laughs> but I'm curious, kind of, I'd love to he- talk to you a little bit about the philosophy and how to do this. Sure. One of the things that we talked about, we found out from our customers when trying to figure out trending topics in social media was that the problem was, was whenever we would show something emerging, it was never big enough relative to the total conversation that would m- make them believe that something was happening. So I'll give you an example. When GoPro was first starting, Obviously, GoPro was not invented by a camera company. It was invented by someone outside of the world of cameras, right? And so if back then it had a major camera company asked their analysts, well, how many people are asking for waterproof cameras? The answer would have been immaterial. It's not clear, right? And so you'd have to be tracking that language or that conversation over some period of time to recognize its velocity and growth. Of course, for most camera companies, by the time they recognized it was big enough, it was too late. Like it had already cemented itself as the go-to brand for that. But what happened was when this was happening, where our customers would always push back on us, is like, well, how do you know it's actually trending? Because it's a really small, it's a really small conversation relative in scope to the total conversation. So it's like, is it trending? It just seems like an anomaly blip down there, right? And so that's kind of like one of the things that they always we always were found with trending is like most people don't think something's trending until it's already happened. Yeah, sure. And then they say, well, it came out of nowhere, <laughs> but but you but it, <laughs> but you saw it coming. So I'm curious, like how you guys approach that because that's one of the challenges. I think on the customer side, even though you can recognize in data, like, hey, this is growing like at more than 50% day over day relative to any other conversation. Like this is the, this is the thing. Well, a lot of it has to do with, you know, the, the, some of the complex data science that my team is building. And, and, and again, that's, that's pretty complicated. But yep. part of it, if you just take sports, for instance, let's look at something happening on a leaderboard or something that's happening across an all-time or a, a seasonal thing. And you look at rate of change calculations that are taken into account of, say, there is a somebody is on a point streak. Well, that could be a point streak that is you know, one, 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 or the rate of change between a time period in the season and the next three months is that rate of change is exponentially larger than comparing it to every other player's rate of change in the history of the game. And so you look at if this guy is moving up a leaderboard quickly, that's one thing. But how does that compare to every other player who's moved up a specific leaderboard? So you need to be able to compare everything across large swaths of time. But that's the only way you can do it is if you actually store it in a way that you can access it like a time series database. Well, it's one of the problems that everyone's trying to figure out, which is, you know, it's one of the things that I think is most fascinating, right? How do you actually prove trending? Because I think there's a lot of great statistical models, kind of like we discussed, like you can identify it. I think it's very easy. I think it's easy, not easy to identify, but it's identifiable. But one of the things I've always struggled with, and we hear different innovators have struggles with, is like the customers tend not to believe it because all the other data is bigger or whatever. Like, you know what I mean? Sure. The uh, sure. general piece of the data is a small subsegment of uh, the total data. So, you know, we've talked a lot about Pramana, where it is, where it's going, some of the things that you guys are looking to develop. I'm curious for you, what's the most exciting thing that you see in like the next year for the business? Because you know, you started in 2018, you got three years of growth, a little over three years of growth potentially right under your belt now. You know, I'd love to hear what you're thinking. Like, what makes the next year? What are you most looking forward to over the next year? I really think it's looking at the ability to create massive amounts of human language narratives at scale. And I think there is a massive need in the industry to communicate with people where they live, whether it's beyond mobile, where you need a real estate 
delivery that that fits with mobile. Nobody's going to look at charts and graphs and visualizations on the mobile screen device or the tablet device, whether it is voice, which is, I mean, rapidly becoming the way that people interact with data. That can be resolved by having human prose style narratives read back to the user. I think that's where we really are looking at the sea change in the way that people interact with data, whether it be sports, whether it be retail, whether it be uh, financial industry data. People need to have data to be consumed in the mobile direction, the tablet direction, and even voice devices. That's the way that they operate and where they live and where they want that information. And I, I mean, I really look at, you know, like the successful businesses in that coming year will be those that have those intelligent tools that deliver kind of those insights to their customers. But the dominant ones will be the ones that do it naturally and elegantly and with inherent simplicity and delivered across the medium that they want. Oh, yeah, that's that's uh, that is the key. Uh, yeah, I think you hit it the nail on the head. Back when I was in tech companies, I would joke with our engineering team, like, hey, this needs to be a passive experience. Like, what do you mean? Like, person needs to be able to do it without actually trying to do it. And like, like they explain, like, what do you mean? Like, like Google, like you just type it in and it just comes back with the answers. You're just super happy. Anytime you have to like think and add queries and buttons and all this other stuff, like if I have to make all these calculated adjustments to get back my answer, it's not a passive experience, a very active experience. I have to go tell it that the way you're approaching with NLP is a very passive experience, right? You have an inquiry in your head, you just ask your tool, boom, you get your answer. I agree. I love it. Corey, I loved having you on the show, but before you go, it is time for the lightning round. The lightning round is brought to you by Salesforce platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Corey, this is where we ask you questions outside of the world of work so our audience can get to know you a little bit better. You ready? Sure. All right. So you are a UNC grad, is that right? That's right. You are a sports super fan. That must mean you're a Tar Heels super fan as well. No doubt. Who is the best Tar Heel basketball player not named Michael Jordan? Anton Jameson. Next question. All right. What is your favorite sports team? Tar Heels football, actually. Tar Heels football. Yeah. Always have been. It's, it's interesting. I know I should be a basketball fan first and foremost, but always been a Tar Heel football fan. That threw me off. Definitely. Good. Lawrence Taylor is the greatest Tar Heel football player ever, right? Well, by NFL stats and data, yeah, of course. <laughs> then who's the who's the second best basketball uh, football player that played for UNC? It's obviously Julius Peppers, right? And he also played on the basketball team, so I think that's pretty obvious. <laughs> How long have you been living in the North Carolina area? Oh man, I grew up most of my life on the Outer Banks of North Carolina, and then went to Chapel Hill, moved away, came back, and I've been back here for about ten years now. You lived in the Outer Banks? Oh, yeah, absolutely. My dad was dad was a park ranger, and it took us to Cape Lookout National Seashore. <laughs> and that's where I spent my formative years. Did you go to high school there? I did. I went to East Carteret High School. Oh, man. Yeah, so I, I tried to make myself a living out in the Outer Banks, but unfortunately, my wife wasn't able to find work. So we moved to Raleigh to get work. We, we made a go of it in Kerala. Well, it's a beautiful place if you can find a way to live there. What do you do for fun outside of watch, you know, building Pramana, watching sports? What do you do for fun? Uh, I'm a big golfer. Love to golf. Uh, I love to woodwork. Actually, I've built most of the stuff in my house. And I mean, that's, those, are, those are my two big loves outside of the business that I'm uh, pretty committed to. What's the coolest thing you, you've built with wood? Well, I've done all the built-ins in my house. I built the official first Permana table where the business started <laughs> with three of us around it. Uh, I've built my entire home office. I built the bar downstairs. I've built the drop-in ceiling of our outside screen porch. Um, oh, you're not messing around. 
Oh man, you are not messing around. Like you're a real, you're like a real deal carpenter almost. Well, I wouldn't call me that, but I do love it. And um, I, I have a, maybe a bit of a knack for it. Well, Corey, it's awesome. Thank you for joining us today on the show. Thanks for sharing what Praman is up to. Thanks for sharing your love of woodworking and your love of the Tar Heels. It's been fun <laughs> having you on the show. Hey, listen, I'm an avid sports guy. I agree. The experience that I've noticed in sports where the announcers, broadcasters, like just the information, I love geeking out on it. I think it makes the game more relevant because when you hear something hasn't happened for so much period of time, it makes you like, oh man, this is pretty cool what I'm seeing. Um, and the fact that that can be brought to just about every game, every single time, is pretty awesome. So thanks for doing what you're doing. And yeah, I definitely agree with you. I see a lot of practical use cases for your technology in the future and in other verticals. Absolutely. I appreciate you having me on, Albert. It's been a lot of fun. 